welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life and all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? In 2001 in Spain, the remains of a 10-year-old child that died 530,000 years ago were discovered in a mountainous region of the country. What's extremely interesting and special about the discovery of this particular child was that the child lived to be 10 years old and was born with craniosynostosis which is a condition where the skull plates fuse early after birth and don't leave room for the brain to grow, which causes compression of the brain, pressure on the the developing brain, and leads to many um, problems in the development of that nervous system. So this child would have had to have been tenderly cared for by a group of proto-humans, um, which we've t- termed Homo heidelbergensis, who lived in Europe as early as 800,000 years ago and may have been the direct ancestors of, the ne- of Neanderthals in Europe. But these are one of the proto-humans um, before Homo sapiens, which is who we are now. But this species of early bipedal mammal, early human, um, we know they cared tenderly for members of their community who had debilitating genetic disorders like craniosynostosis. A young man in North Vietnam died 4,000 years ago who was born with a degenerative neurological disease, which would have rendered him paralyzed from the waist down with very limited motor function of the upper body. And he was cared for by his people. These are just two stories in dozens of stories we've uncovered through archeological examination that show early humans cared for people in their community who were differently abled, who struggled with caring for themselves. The reality that we as a species have chosen time and time again to adapt our community to care for those of us who need more care seems to me to be a hallmark of what it means to be human. The earth herself, Gaia, Mother Earth, nature, whatever you want to call it, has selected for the emergence of humans, just like she is selected for the emergence of dragonfly and snapping turtle 
sycamore trees and tulips. We have emerged out of the shifting, morphing soil, just like everything else here. And just like everything else here, humans have purpose, a niche to fill in this environment. Some particular magic, some particular story, a note in the great symphony that we are here to hold. I've been spending a lot of my time lately wondering, what is it? What is the note we are here to hold? What is our particular magic as a species? She's keeping us around for some reason. We haven't gone the way of the dinosaur just yet. (laughs) So what is it that we are particularly here to bring to the great web of life? I talk on this podcast all the time about coming back to life, rejoining the web of life, repairing our thread and the web of life. And for me, part of that turning back toward all of life is understanding how we as humans are contributors to the great web, not detr- not detractors from it, that we have emerged out of the fertile undulations of life, just like everything else here, just like the mushrooms I'm watching pop up after the rains. So what is it? And it seems to me that this propensity to care for one another, to steward, to be accountable to life is part of our particular medicine, our particular magic. Because of our prefrontal cortex, our ability to create and imagine our dexterity in our hands. We have depended on technology to survive. We don't have thick fur. We don't have fangs. We don't have sharp claws. We don't run fast. We can't hibernate. (laughs) We're fragile, hairless, defenseless creatures. We depend on our intelligence, our adaptability, our skills, and our technology to survive here. So that is definitely part of our particular magic. Many species of animal on this planet use technology and tools. That's that's not particular to us. The amount of terraforming that we are able to do It's pretty unique. You know, many creatures on Earth terraform in their buildings of dens and nests and colonies and things like that. So that's not particularly special to us. Um, But the the amount of terraforming that we're able to do is, is pretty incredible. Many species of creature on this planet also care for one another. In the beehive, the whole of the hive is caring for the hive itself, caring for the queen, um, 
in communities of all kinds, there is mutual care and tending in elephant herds, in wolf packs, in lion prides. There's a tremendous amount of personal care and tending. So that is not unique to us. There is some evidence of caring for the ill and infirm in other species as well, in some primate species. Some bird species have been known to care for the ill and infirm. But not to any great length. Most other species, perhaps all other species that we know of, tend to be much more concerned with survival and not willing to risk much in the way of resources for the ill or infirm or injured. Whereas we as humans have proven time and time again that we are willing to go to great and incredible lengths to care for those most ill and most frail among us. The beehive readily sacrifices individuals for the health and integrity of the whole. The wolf pack would readily sacrifice an individual to protect the pack. In some ways we do this too in times of war where we sacrifice the lives of soldiers to protect the interests the interest of the nation that is engaged in the battle. But we are much less likely to make that sort of sacrifice than other species who regularly sacrifice individuals on behalf of the whole. Humans seem to be much more interested in caring for the lives of individuals, often at the expense of the whole. We will move heaven and earth for one individual life without much thought about what, it ta- what the cost of that has been to the rest of the community, to the environment. So there's this almost an inversion of a value system in, in the human species as compared to really every other species that I have personally observed in our among the our kin in this web of life. I have never been aware of another species that will put everything on hold, risk everything for the health of one or a few individuals. So this seems to be a particular magic of humans. Along with our incredible ability to create beauty, but you know, every species on this planet creates beauty in their own way and creates art and song 
the dances of the bees are incredible to watch. The blooms of an orchid are such an incredible art. So beauty, art, song, these are all parts that are inherent to being alive on this planet. That is the song of this planet. We could wonder about humor. We don't know other species engage in humor intentionally in the way that we do. So that's another particular magic of ours. We're endearing. Humans are endearing. We're also short-sighted, selfish, and destructive. So along with this incredible magic that we have of elevating the individual and caring deeply for the individual at the expense of the whole, there's this huge blind spot that we have that the rest of life is reflecting back to us which is our inability to see far and our inability to to imagine how our actions are impacting our community of human and non-human beings. I've been spending a lot of time with the New England aster plant. I'm in fact, I'm with her right now. She's fully in bloom. Her beautiful purple rays of petals um, just and her her sun-like disc at the center of the flower is just full of nectar, this resinous, delicious nectar. And almost every bloom has a pollinator, a wasp, a bee, a fly some sort of being that's feasting on this nectar. Butterflies, moths. This aster plant has become a community conversation. Every bloom registering the buzz and tap of little feet, the licking of proboscis, All of that vibration and humming and tapping and licking, moving the stalks, registering down into the roots. And this conversation happens. All of this information is being passed from the bee to the disc, to the stem, to the root, to the earth. And the earth herself offering up nutrients and water, which is carried up from the root through the stem into the nectar. And so in this one simple act of an aster blooming and the pollinators flocking to her, a huge and timeless conversation is continued information about the migration is being passed on information about hydration and minerals and weather so much information is being passed between the pollinators and the aster and the soil and the microbes in the soil and the fungus in the soil it's this kind of conversation that we have forgotten how to be part of as we have hyper-focused on individual blooms of the aster or individual pollinators 
Right now we are hyper-focused on monarch butterflies and honeybees because we're really good at individuals. So everyone I know is planting milkweed and trying to get plants that don't have pesticides that are disruptive to the life cycle of the honeybee. And that is good and well and beautiful. And it totally misses the, the conversation, the, big, the bigger conversation that's going on. Because if we're planting milkweed and we're still using chemical pesticides in other parts of the garden, or we're not planting forage, we're missing the whole point. Or we're leaving our lights on at night so pollinators can't see where to migrate. We're missing the whole point. I think it's valuable for us as humans to recognize our particular magic and to celebrate it. And I think it's valuable for us to acknowledge our blind spots and to actively engage in learning so that we can be a better neighbor in the web of life. New England Aster itself is supportive of conversation in a couple ways. Medicinally, the flowers contain volatile oils and resins that are warming and opening to the chest and also expectorant. So they help us cough up phlegm and congestion um, that are so common this time of year as we're getting the back to school colds and flus and the allergies from the goldenrod and the ragweed that's blooming and um, more of the ragweed than the goldenrod. But the aster helps us cough those things out and helps to open the airways when taken as a tincture or a tea or just eating the flowers fresh, which is one of my favorite things to do. Or you can preserve them in honey, fresh flowers and honey, and add that to your tea all winter long as needed. But the flowers are also a wonderful anxiolytic and nervine. So they help us just sort of calm and settle. I notice it lightens and brightens my mood. Um, so just as this plant is food and forage for this community, this buzzing community conversation, in taking um, aster flowers ourselves helps us to be more open to conversation, to hearing and to speaking less inhibited, less anxious, less caught in our loops of thought and more open to another way of thinking. So often I find that plants carry this particular medicine that we can see imprinted in the way they support the community conversation and they do the same thing, the same kind of support in the ecosystem of our bodies. I'm watching three cabbage moths doing this beautiful dance around each other like a little cabbage moth tornado above the aster. So I want to end this week by celebrating humans' particular magic, our stewardship, our care, our tending of the vulnerable, our willingness to use our technology to support others who don't directly benefit us back, but out of a place of care and support, our ability to be empathetic and sympathetic, 
These are beautiful gifts and part of our particular magic. And there's a much larger conversation going on around us all the time that we are invited back into understanding a non-human centric conversation. So we, as we celebrate our ability to elevate and tend and care for and prioritize the individual, how can we remember to learn our way as navigating our way into navigating the larger community of which we are a part, human and non-human? And how can we bring that back into balance? Our love of the individual and our responsibility to our community at large. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Feel free to drop me a line anywhere you find me on social media or send me an email at theplantwitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me.